Hi, and welcome to the Ministry Network Podcast. I'm your host, James Baird. Today, we're continuing our conversation with Drew Primus about personal finance. Ministry Network just launched a new teaching series called Behind the Pulpit with teachers like John Piper, Timothy Keller, Alistair Begg, Conrad Mbewe, and many more. To check out the new series, visit ministrynetwork.com forward slash behind the pulpit. Now, let's talk with Drew. Well, you mentioned some helpful people to listen to, like, you know, Dave Ramsey's done a lot of great work. There are also a lot of other kind of online money gurus who are offering different types of advice. And it's hard to know which ones you should listen to and which ones you should scroll past. Do you have any tips if someone's trying to figure out if they're being sold financial snake oil or not? (laughs) Yeah. So I think it's, if you're interested in this stuff, read everything that interests you. I was an English major at Hamden, Sydney, and one of my favorite professors, Lowell Fry, always told me, if you don't like a book, just put it down and read the next one. There's too many books out there to get stuck on a book. So just keep reading. You know, I've read a bunch of different approaches. I feel like most books, there's one or two things you can pick up on. And the more you read, the more you can kind of tell what angle the book is being written at. Most books that are out there are selling something that you don't necessarily need to buy, but it might not be a bad thing to be investing in. So I would say just kind of treat every book as, hey, what couple tools can I get out of this? What is this person's philosophy? I'm not a big fan of becoming just a disciple of a single strategy. I think there's value in a bunch of different minds informing how you live your life. And I guess maybe I'm, I do think it's important to be a disciple of Jesus, but maybe on the financial guru front, we don't need to be a disciple of anyone in particular of those. But I think it's important to inform yourself on what the budgeting experts are saying, what the personal finance experts are saying, what the financial independence retire early, you know, extreme people are saying, what movements are out there. And there might be a couple that you connect with more than others and kind of lean into those. Check out their websites, follow them on Twitter. This is a, this is, you're a behavioral economist, so you'll maybe appreciate this bias I've been noticing a lot recently is the familiarity bias with the more we see something, the more comfortable we are with it. So I've been uh, teasing my wife. I'm going to keep saying this, the worst name I can think of. I'm not going to say it on here, and so I won't offend anyone, but the like her least favorite name that we can think of in the English language. I'm just going to say it to her over and over again. And then by the time we have a kid in a year or two, I'm be like, hey, how about that for a name? And it won't sound so bad to her just because she's heard it for so long. And the same goes for financial advice. If you keep hearing something, letting yourself hear something over and over again, it's going to seem like a better and better idea. So that's why on the radio, people will advertise certain products that maybe are not going to be the wisest things ever because I've heard it over and over again on the radio and I see it advertised in the magazine. So it must be a good investment. Who knows if it's a good investment? It might be a good investment for sometimes, but it's not necessarily you just want to buy it without having any idea of what's going on in the rest of the world. So being aware that where you point yourself, you'll get feedback that kind of confirms that opinion as you're, if you're kind of on that Instagram handle or following that feed or reading books and articles on certain websites kind of point yourself in the direction that you want to be going and say, hey, this is these are people I admire and respect how they do things. Let me see what they're reading and learn who's informing them. And I'm a big fan of starting with the more 
pop culture books that are easier to read and have great stories and maybe even a picture or two. And then you'll kind of go back to the next level of academic rigor. And then eventually you'll be, you know, going back to Benjamin Graham and reading the really intelligent investor, uh, you know, just really thoughtful, intellectual, academic type books. So don't try to jump in to Adam Smith immediately. Start with something that's a little bit easier. I tried reading The Intelligent Investor once. <laughs> it's hard, right? It was harder it was harder to get through than I expected. You got to work your way up to it. You can't just jump right in. I'm sure every field is like that. You probably had that at seminary a lot, but you've got to start understand some of the themes, some of the conversations to be able to appreciate the source text. It's just it can be tough to go to. You got your sixth century philosophers that you kind of go back to and it's like, all right, let me really understand what was St. Francis of Assisi really saying with this? Like, oh man, that's really complicated. <laughs> let me read John Piper for a little bit and figure that out first. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, well, what would you, what advice would you give to someone who started to notice that they're kind of a spender? First is to notice it, right? Even just, yeah, I spend and like, just be aware of it. And how much of a spender are you is, is really an important question. Is it, what does it mean to be a spender? It, some people are in different situations where spending a certain amount of money means a lot versus other people might spend that same amount and they're being frugal or feel like they're being frugal. What is making you feel like you're being a spender? Is it, is it something that you're, who's being impacted by you spending like that? Really just kind of like sit in that feeling for a while. Oh, I'm a spender. What does that mean? What's going on there? Um, and then think about what, what can you do about it? I think noticing is so important. And the more you notice something, the, like we were saying earlier, the more you become aware of it, the better you're priming yourself to make a change on it. So start writing it down. What are you spending money on that's kind of crazy? I mentioned those basketball sneakers. Like, I don't buy sneakers all the time, but I want to buy them all the time. <laughs> I don't know, Drew. I feel, like, I feel like the last time we talked, or a couple months ago when we were talking, I think it was shoes you were looking at then, too. Yeah. I've been thinking about sneakers for the last year, but I haven't bought any yet. So okay. I'm really... <laughs> You're savoring the expectation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly, right? Isn't something... There's more joy from waiting for something than there is from actually getting it, right? So I'll, I'll probably end up getting on Christmas morning like you're supposed to get anything and it's a gift. But just finding out, okay, what am I spending money on that I don't need to be? It might be that you're spending money on eating out or there's like a particular alcoholic beverage that you love to get that maybe you don't need to be getting five nights a week. Or there might be, uh, you know, people's spending habits are different. So you might have become an Amazon, just crazy person, buying all these things that you need to buy for your house that once you put them in their spot, they don't really add anything. So just being thinking, all right, I feel like I'm spending a lot. What does that mean that I'm spending a lot? Who's impacted by it? And then, okay, what am I spending on? And then you got to think about, all right, what do I want? My, what's my desired end state? When you're doing a financial planning or any sort of you know, planning of some sort, it's like, all right, where am I? Where do I want to go? And really understanding where you are is important, I think. But then you really got to understand where do you want to go? Like, I want to be spending 50% as much I think everyone would be nice to have, I only have, I can live off half of what I'm spending right now. Great. That's cool. But is that possible? What's a realistic and uh, desired end state, not just from a financial perspective, but what emotionally does that mean? It's, I don't feel like I'm being frivolous with my money. Okay. That's a better goal than I want to spend $30 less per month, but $30 less per month might be how you get to the feeling of, Hey, I can be more generous because I am doing this or that. So what's the desired end state? emotionally and then what tactical steps can you take to increase your ability to get there
That is super helpful. That's really helpful. One thing that I've noticed is during the pandemic, I haven't become a big spender across the board, but there's like two or three things, you know, that just like got a little out of control. And I'll admit, and I think hopefully a lot of our listeners can uh, resonate with this. I noticed anytime I got kind of depressed because of the news, I ended up like browsing books on Amazon. I thought, oh, there's some self-medication going on here. My guilty pleasure has been high-end hand soaps. I got really into Aesop hand soap. <laughs> and it's like giving your hands a spa treatment <laughs> in the middle of the day. <laughs> Bergamote notes. I really like the Bergamote. <laughs> you know, I really think what you just shared is super helpful because it's so easy to just categorize ourselves and say, I'm a spender, you're a saver, but then... When we do that, we don't really get down into the root of what's going on. And I think what you're saying to just notice your behaviors, ask hard questions, and then sit with that information for a little bit and reflect on it. I think that's really just a really helpful advice. You know, you kind of mentioned this earlier um, when you were talking about the different budgeting methods, but... Let's say that you're trying to think about whether to buy those J's for Christmas or get a new book or buy some more high-end soap, and you want to treat yourself. How do you go about making that decision? How do you know when it's a okay time to kind of splurge a little bit? Great question, right? I think I should treat myself every day because I deserve it, right? I work hard. There's a pandemic going on and it's really scary. I need to, you know, I bought myself some mac and cheese and peanut butter and jelly sandwiches a lot in April because that's my comfort food and I needed that. Um, and then, and then, I, then I had to lose 30 pounds over the rest of the summer. <laughs> Get ready for that wedding. <laughs> I had to fit into my suit. It was very important. <laughs> no, I think it's, it's important to not make that decision in the moment, I think, to treat yourself. I love the Parks and Rec where Tom and Donna are treating themselves and they're just like, if it makes you feel good, treat yourself. I think that's fabulous. And I want to do that day, but I think it's important to have spend actually like mentally account for spending the money in advance. So some people are on a bonus schedule every quarter at the end of every year, something like that, they're getting a bonus. And I say, have a rule set in place so that, you know, Hey, 50% of my bonus is going to do this you know, go to go to savings. 30% is going to go to whatever project has to get done to maintain things. And then 20% is going to get left over and we're going to do this crazy splurge vacation and go to the beach. One of my favorite books is Happy Money, The Science of Smarter Spending. And that really is a big fan of it's money can buy you happiness, but <laughs> it's not through the things that it's buying you. It's the process of using money in a ways where you can actually increase the excitement of it. So if you're anticipating something like I'm anticipating these these sneakers that I've been dreaming about for about 10 months, the anticipation is actually going to make the joy, you're going to prolong it, and it's actually going to be elevated is what studies say. So plan ahead for your splurges. Don't just do it suddenly because you're browsing. You know, when you're on Amazon, just on your favorite bookstore or whatever it is that, that your weakness is. Or I find the checkout counter at Whole Foods is a dangerous spot. And Trader Joe's, they've got those chocolate bars that I've gone through and I've gotten my oranges and I've gotten my, you know, sweet potatoes and my whole grain rice. And then I get there and I'm like, oh man, I would really love some milk chocolate in a Trader Joe's bar when I, after that. So it's really dangerous for me to splurge on that. And maybe that's not a financial splurge. It's a splurge nonetheless, if it, you know, it's a couple bucks. 
but being aware of those moments to splurge and planning for them. So rather than getting the Trader Joe's bar when you're just checking out and just mindlessly going to be eating it on the way home, plan for a really fancy dessert when you're out with your wife at dinner next Friday night and get like your favorite chocolate cake. Isn't that going to be so much better than just a couple of bites of chocolate that's here and gone? It's like, there's a memory associated with it. There's anticipation going on with it. There's so much more that can add value to the experience if you're really putting thought into it. And then it minimizes the regret afterwards of, oh man, I just blew $2,000 on a shopping spree that I didn't really even want any of this stuff. And if we can be training ourselves to anticipate our splurges rather than to do it suddenly, I think that we're going to enjoy them more and regret them less. Yeah. Mm, preach. That's so good because, I mean, it really is impulse buys are so ultimately, at least for me, dissatisfying, you know, because it's there and gone. But yeah, when you plan like a great date night with your wife, like it's something you're excited about, you enjoy during the moment, it's relational. You're not just getting the dopamine high from the one <laughs> chocolate bar. Well, I would encourage us to like, I'm not perfect on my impulse buying. I'll do it every now and then. And when you do something like that, and you realize you've done it, I think you've alluded to this, but it's important to take a moment and step back and say, you know, what was I trying to buy with that? Was I soothing? What was I soothing? What is the feeling there that's causing this? What's the underlying root? Just take a minute. Don't be overly, you know, you don't have to go crazy on it, but just like, hey, was I hungry? And so I bought, you know, whatever I shouldn't have. Did I just have a fight with someone at work that I needed to work out, you know, before I shut off Zoom for the day? What caused that and how can I make sure that I'm in an emotional state so the next time I'm presented with that temptation, it's not as strong for me? Because I don't think we're ever going to cure ourselves and be perfect on these things. But just use them as, hey, this is a signal. Let me listen to it. But I think money can be really valuable that way because, like you're saying, it, it reveals the heart. All right, well, let's pay attention. What is being revealed? Let's take a look at that. And it sounds like a lot of your advice doesn't boil down to it, but a common theme is... The best way to get started is talk and think about your money. Sounds pretty basic, doesn't it? <laughs> but yes, that's so true. Like being honest with yourself and other people about financial things is the great starting point. And that's really, you can't really go anywhere until you do that basic work. And it can be scary. And we are like attuned as a society, maybe not to jump into those conversations. But it's important to find someone you trust, your spouse, your friends, your, you know, your peer group, whatever it is. Find a community and find a way to be open about the topics that are important for you to be addressing. So I'd like to know from your perspective how the COVID-19 pandemic may change the way that we should be thinking about money. Yeah, I think every every event that kind of... <laughs> yeah, great question. <laughs> so I, I think there's it's important, like we're thinking about every event can impact the way we think about money. And it can be the pandemic, but then it can also be the trip to the grocery store or finding change under the couch. So the pandemic obviously has changed the way we live in so many ways and has kind of just like put pressure on our society and ourselves in ways that has never really been felt before. So I imagine all of us are feeling a little bit differently about everything after eight months of this. We're recording in November. You know, it's it's a... It's one of the, like, it'll be one of the most memorable events of our lives and is going to have echoes for decades, it seems like. It has to. So what has it made us think? And that's a lot of internal work that we have to do there as well. From a financial perspective, how should it change the way we think about money? Well, the first is, is like, well, what does it mean about your job? Are you in a career where 
your job is at risk for these kind of things, or are you independent of that? If you're not at risk from things like a pandemic, you're probably at risk to something else. The financial crisis might have gotten you back in 2008. So that could drive, all right, what source of money do we want to be pursuing going forward? So there's that. In terms of investments, we can think about how did we respond when we saw the market down 30% in a few weeks? Did we panic? Did we look at our portfolio and say, we're okay? Did we look at our portfolio and say, let's buy more and get really aggressive? How do we respond in that? Because we want to be investing in a way where we know that this kind of thing is going to happen. We don't know how it's going to come. The unique thing about these unique events is that they're always unique and they've never happened this way before. So the next, yeah, the next thing that's going to happen will never have happened this way before. How are we feeling on that? What is our actual risk tolerance? And are our portfolios aligned with our risk tolerance? Do we really hate that we were down as much as the stock market was? And I think you feel your emotions about your portfolio a lot more on the way down than you do on the way up. It's much easier to say I'm, or you much prefer to say I'm down less than the market than I'm up a little bit more than the market. It turns out we have that uh, downward bias. We just hate that feeling of loss aversion. So there's so many things that we can be talking about here, but the, I think the keys are, where's our money coming from? Where's our money being held? And then whose money is it in the big picture? Is it ours? Where we're thinking, hey, I have to have this money for my identity to be consistent? Or is our identity from something other than the money? And how did that get impacted during this time? Drew, thank you so much for joining us here. Uh, thanks for having me. It was really fun. I really enjoyed it. I can't wait to have you back on. Yeah, let's do it again soon. Join us next time as we speak with Jason Halopoulos. In the meantime, visit ministrynetwork.com forward slash behind the pulpit to learn about our new teaching series. The views expressed are not necessarily the opinion of Westminster or Ministry Network and should not be construed directly or indirectly as an offer to buy or sell any securities mentioned herein. Investing is subject to risks, including loss of principal invested. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. No strategy can assure profit nor protect against loss. Please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information should be relied upon when coordinated with individual professional advice. The information provided here is for general informational purposes only and should not be considered an individualized recommendation or personalized investment advice. Data contained here is obtained from what are considered reliable sources. However, its accuracy, completeness, or reliability cannot be guaranteed.